We'll continue with our studies in John's Gospel. We're starting John 15 today. John chapter 15, reading from verse 1 in John chapter 15. Jesus said, I am the true vine, and my father is the husbandman, or the gardener. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Today we are going to consider that statement of the Lord Jesus Christ concerning himself. He said there in verse 1, I am the true vine, and that's also the title of my sermon. Jesus said, I am the true vine. We've already looked at various statements that Jesus said about himself. He said, for example, I am the light of the world. I am the bread of life. I am the way, the truth and the life. Various statements of the Lord Jesus Christ concerning himself. And I'll say what I always say, even before we go any further. Just think about it. Who else could make these statements? Who else could legitimately say, I am the true vine? And my father, well, we know who he's talking about. He's talking about God, his father. So Jesus said, I am the true vine and my father is the husbandman. Who can make such a statement other than Jesus? No one. No one at all. So even in that statement there, in that first verse, we really do have a declaration of the divinity of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus was speaking figuratively when he declared himself in verse 1 to be the true vine. About 700 years before the Son of God came down from heaven into the world, the use of a vine as a metaphor was used as a description of Israel. We saw it in the first reading in Isaiah chapter 5, verses 1 to 7. Those verses describe the house of Israel and the men of Judah as the vineyard of the Lord of hosts. In that passage, God declared that he would lay it waste because of rebellion and because it produced wild or worthless grapes. However, here in John chapter 15, there is a clear shift in emphasis. No longer is Israel the vine, instead we have the Lord Jesus Christ declaring himself to be not just a vine, but the true vine. Since vines have branches, we can consider the branches in Jesus. Again, let's have a look at those verses, just three verses there. I am the true vine, and my father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away, and every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now are ye, uh, ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. In these verses, we see two types of branches in the true vine. There are those that bear no fruit, and those branches are removed. 
And also there are those branches that bear fruit. They bring forth fruit. They are purged or pruned so that they are able to bring forth even more fruit. All of the branches would at first glance seem to represent represent Christians. They're all branches in the vine, in the true vine. Also, if you were to read and consider verse 2, in isolation, you might say that the branches that bear no fruit and are taken away represent Christians who lose their salvation. What else can it mean? They're branches, they're in the vine, and yet they're taken away because they do not bear fruit. Christians that lose their salvation you might say. But if you take that view, you would be ignoring numerous other Bible verses that teach that Christians cannot lose their salvation. We cannot read things in isolation. That doesn't mean to say we'll ignore something because of other verses, but we do have to look at the Bible and not just individual verses. I'm not advocating you ignore a verse if it doesn't fit in with your theology. But let's consider outside of this passage just a little bit. Verse that we all know, John chapter 3 and verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have what? (coughs) Everlasting life. God gives everlasting life to those who believe in his Son. Well, how long is everlasting? It's forever, isn't it? That's quite an easy one. Everlasting life is forevermore. God, if you are a Christian, God has given you everlasting life. That's the first one, but there there are a lot of others. I've also got John chapter 10, verse 27. Let's remind ourselves what those... What that was all about. John chapter 10, verse 27. That's the chapter where Jesus declares himself to be the good shepherd. And in verse 27, he said, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life, everlasting life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. So there you are, Christian. You have everlasting life. You shall never perish. You're safe in the hand of Jesus. You're safe in the hand of his Father. Safe and double safe. You can't ignore verses like that. Therefore, looking at John chapter 15 and verse 2, with those other verses in mind, the branches that bear no fruit and are taken away represent what? Counterfeit Christians, fake Christians, people who profess faith in Jesus, but they do not possess him. We've got them in the Bible, in John's Gospel, people who are actually referred to as disciples. You automatically think that a disciple is someone who's a real, real Christian, don't you? There are disciples who walk no more with Jesus. 
in John's Gospel. Fake Christians, professors of Christ, but people who didn't really ever possess him as their Lord and their Saviour. So this is the, the branches that bring forth no fruit. They profess faith in Christ, but they do not possess him. They have an outward profession of faith in Jesus, but they have no inner holiness. Even though they come to church, they have no interest in the Saviour's blood. They have never received Jesus as their Saviour and their Lord. And as such, they have no interest in living for his glory. And an observation of my own here, uh, they, they have no interest in talking about Jesus. As soon as the Sunday service is over, that's it for, a lot, that's it for the week. And that shouldn't be the case. I cannot dictate to you what you talk about. But Christians together, what do they do? What, what do you think they should do? At least sometimes, if not all the time. Talk one to another about the Lord. And as you can imagine, God delights in hearing his people talk about his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. It's wonderful. It does happen. Of course it happens. And I know the people that I can talk to about Jesus and talk and talk and talk about Jesus. Here, and also when I go for my little journeys back to London three or four times a year, friends of mine back in London, we meet up, we can talk for hours about the Lord. And then if we've got time, we'll talk about what I've been up to and what they've been up to. This is an inner holiness and having Christ enthroned in your heart by faith. What about, so that's the counterfeit Christians. What about the true Christians? The branches that bear fruit and are purged so that they are able to bring forth more fruit. They are the true Christians. Men, women, boys and girls who are trusting in Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins. It's that same formula, isn't it, that you're hearing from me. Trusting in Jesus for forgiveness. Consequently, they bring forth fruit and even more fruit to the glory of their God and Saviour, Jesus Christ. We can consider what Christian fruit is. We've seen that the branches that represent true Christians will inevitably bear fruit. There's no question of it. They bear fruit. And they're purged and then they bring forth even more fruit. But what is that fruit? What fruit could a Christian possibly bring forth? The Bible speaks of Christian fruit in terms of love, joy, peace, Long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance or self-control. When you think about all of those things, maybe you feel a bit uncomfortable. I do, because I'm, I'm saying that a, a genuine Christian is someone who brings forth fruit. And I've just listed some of the fruit. The, the joy, the peace, the long-suffering, the gentleness, the patience. Now, that's a difficult one for me. I'm not the most patient of people. But when you think about all of those things, they are a description of Jesus. 
So you don't have to beat yourself up too much about it. They are a description of Jesus, just like when you look at the uh, what love is in, in, uh, in Paul's letter to the Corinthians. It's Jesus. It's a description of Jesus. He is all of those things in their purest and their fullest form. Whether you're talking about the description of love in the Bible or a description of the fruit. He fulfills all of those things. He is all of those. In a vine, only those branches that are healthy and drawing on the sap are able to produce fruit. That's not rocket science, is it? The branches and the the things on the branches, the leaves, everything else, they are entirely dependent upon the sap that they draw from the, the main stem. Similarly, only people who are savingly connected as branches to Jesus, the true vine, trusting in him and drawing on his continuous flow of grace, only they are able to bring forth the fruit of the Spirit, the love, the joy, the peace, the temperance, and so on and so on, the the long-suffering. Therefore, your Christianity ought to extend beyond church attendance and singing the hymns with the voice of an angel if you really belong to Jesus the true vine then you will inevitably bring forth fruit and display something of what? something of Jesus in your life if Jesus is all of these things if he is the the love the joy, the peace and and the long-suffering, the gentleness, the goodness, the faith, the meekness, the temperance. If that's Jesus and you are drawing on him and his grace continuously, it follows that you will bring forth something of Jesus in your life, your born-again life that you would seek to do with God's enabling and for God's glory. And it's not enough really to just bring forth a few leaves or a nice fragrance, but it's about bringing forth fruit for all to see to the glory of God. God purges the branches that bring forth fruit. Look at verse 2 again. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit he taketh away, And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. God, the gardener, purges those branches. That word purge is all about being made clean. For example, in verse 3, look at verse 3 a minute, where it says, Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you, The Greek word that has been translated clean in verse 3 is the root for purge in verse 2. Looking first of all at verse 3, the disciples whom Jesus was speaking to, they were already clean because Jesus had already cleansed them through his word. That's what it says in verse 3. Now ye are clean, you are purged through the word which I have spoken unto you. Jesus told them that. As such, this has nothing to do with the disciples taking a bath, rather it refers to spiritual cleansing. Spiritual cleansing 
being purged spiritually through the word. Those disciples were already justified by the soul-cleansing blood that Jesus would soon pour out at the cross. They were already savingly connected to the true vine, the Lord Jesus Christ, drawing on his continual flow of grace. Keeping it in mind that the disciples were already spiritually clean, they were already purged, when we look at verse 2, we can see that there is still a need for such branches to be further purged, further cleansed. Although they are clean, the disciples, the apostles there, and you as a Christian, you're already clean, but there is, and bringing forth fruit, but still there is a need for further purging. If we just consider for a moment how a branch is purged, then you might better appreciate how God cleans and purges all true Christians. Uh, Listen, I'm no expert on this, so I'm going to keep this short, but hopefully accurate. I'm no expert at all on gardening and pruning branches. However, it would seem that when a branch is purged, a sharp instrument is used to remove disease, damaged or unwanted parts in order to maintain and improve the health of a branch. Sounds fair enough, doesn't it? Gardeners in here, you take a knife, a sharp knife to the branch, the twig, whatever it is that you're going to purge and you cut away the rubbish. You might well imagine that it is a painful experience for that branch but it is necessary, it is beneficial in order to improve the health of that branch, in order to improve it, in order to maintain it, and so on. The pruning of a branch is an illustration of God cutting with his knife into all who belong to Jesus. Though it will inevitably hurt at the time, God does it because he loves you, and he doesn't do it to punish you. If you are savingly connected to Jesus, trusting in him for the forgiveness of your sins, then Jesus has already been punished in your place. Don't look at God as being the one who punishes you. Jesus was punished for your sins at the cross. Sins past, present and future. It is written in Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 5, But he was wounded for our transgressions, He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him and with his stripes we are healed. Thank God for that. Praise God. For every cut from from God's knife, the Christian is made a little bit more like Jesus. Can you imagine that? As God is cutting away with his knife, he is moulding you, shaping you, conforming you to the image of his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. It's an ongoing work of sanctification by God in all who truly belong to Jesus. That work of conforming and shaping Christians with the sharp knife is carried out in various ways, such as trials, tribulations, afflictions, but chiefly the Christian is purged by God through his word just as we see in verse 3 now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you 
There are too many professing Christians who simply want to be soothed and pampered by the scriptures and by the preached word. They certainly don't come to this place, do they? If they want to be pampered and soothed by the preaching. They seem to have no appetite for Jesus and for the cross. If you are trusting in Jesus for the salvation, for your salvation, and you are serious about pressing ahead and producing, bringing forth more fruit and becoming more like Jesus, then you must submit yourself to the whole Bible, not just those little verses that make you feel nice and fuzzy. The whole Bible from cover to cover. Pray that the word of God would cut deep into you with transforming power as it reaches deep into your comfort zones, your pockets of resistance to God's will, your conscience, challenging you to strive for greater holiness in your life with God's enabling. Let me just read to you what it's written in uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3 about the word of God by which we are purged. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's God-breathed. When you open your Bible, the words that you read there have been breathed down from heaven by God and is profitable for doctrine, that's for teaching, for reproof. The word of God, it rebukes you, or at least it should rebuke you. certainly rebukes me, time and again. For correction, not only does it rebuke you, but it shows you where you're going wrong in your life, your born-again life. Why? So that you can do something about it. Maybe the habits that you've got into, the things that you do that you shouldn't do, or the things that you don't do that you should do, it's in the scriptures. The Holy Spirit guides us and teaches us when we read the word of God. Correction for instruction in righteousness that the man of God, that's the man, woman, boy or girl of God, the Christian, may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. This is what the scriptures does, the word of God. And this is how God purges those who are truly, savingly connected to Jesus, the one who has declared himself to be the true vine. If you are one, <clears throat> if you are one of the great majority of people in the world who have no interest in being savingly connected to Jesus, then you, you are dead wood. You are the one that is taken away, the branch that is taken away in verse 2, dead wood, bringing forth no fruit. If you have no interest in Jesus and you don't trust in him, and if you leave this world without having repented of your sins and having trusted in Jesus for forgiveness, your final destination will not be a heavenly mansion, but rather it will be hellfire. That is, the, that is what dead wood is fit for, the fire. It's fit for nothing else. But also, if you profess faith in Jesus and 
you say that you are a Christian, you've got the testimony, you've been baptised, hopefully, not necessarily, but you claim to belong to Jesus, I would encourage you to do some soul searching. Look at your life to see which of the two types of branches you are. May each one of you who call on the name of Jesus bring forth fruit that is consistent with repentance and with saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ as you live your born-again life for his glory. Amen.